Part 4, Propositions 31 to 35 of The Ethics by Spinoza. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by OK. The Ethics by Benedict de Spinoza. Translated by R. H. M. Elways. Part 4, Propositions 31 to 35. Proposition 31. In so far as a thing is in harmony with our nature, it is necessarily good. Proof. In so far as a thing is in harmony with our nature, it cannot be bad for it. It will therefore necessarily be either good or indifferent. If it be assumed that it be neither good nor bad, nothing will follow from its nature. Part 4, Definition 1 which tends to the preservation of our nature, that is, by the hypothesis, which tends to the preservation of the thing itself. But this, part 3, proposition 6, is absurd. Therefore, in so far as a thing is in harmony with our nature, it is necessarily good. Quod erat demonstrandum. Corollary. Hence it follows that in proportion as a thing is in harmony with our nature, so is it more useful or better for us and vice versa, in proportion as a thing is more useful for us, so is it more in harmony with our nature. For in so far as it is not in harmony with our nature, it will necessarily be different therefrom, or contrary thereto. If different, it can neither be good nor bad. Part 4, Proposition 29. If contrary, it will be contrary to that which is in harmony with our nature that is, contrary to what is good, in short, bad. Nothing, therefore, can be good except in so far as it is in harmony with our nature, and hence a thing is useful in proportion as it is in harmony with our nature, and vice versa. Quod erat demonstrandum. Proposition 32. In so far as men are a prey to passion, they cannot in that respect be said to be naturally in harmony. Proof. Things which are said to be in harmony, naturally, are understood to agree in power, part 3, proposition 7, not in want of power or negation, and consequently not in passion, part 3, proposition 3, note. Wherefore, men in so far as they are a prey to their passions, cannot be said to be naturally in harmony. Quod erat demonstrandum. Note. This is also self-evident, for if we say that white and black only agree in the fact that neither is red, we absolutely affirm that they do not agree in any respect. So, if we say that a man and a stone only agree in the fact that both are finite, wanting in power, not existing by the necessity of their own nature, or lastly, indefinitely surpassed by the power of external causes, we should certainly affirm that a man and a stone are in no respect alike. Therefore, things which agree only in negation or in qualities which neither possess, really agree in no respect. Proposition 33. Men can differ in nature in so far as they are assailed by those emotions, which are passions or passive states, and to this extent one and the same man is variable and inconstant. Proof. The nature or essence of the emotions cannot be explained solely through our essence or nature, 
part three, definitions one and two, but it must be defined by the power, that is, part three, proposition seven, by the nature of external causes in comparison with our own. Hence it follows that there are as many kinds of each emotion as there are external objects whereby we are affected. Part three, proposition fifty-six and that men may be differently affected by one and the same object. Part 3, Proposition 51. And to this extent differ in nature. Lastly, that one and the same man may be differently affected towards the same object, and may therefore be variable and inconstant. Quod erat demonstrandum. Proposition 34. In so far as men are assailed by emotions which are passions, they can be contrary one to another. Proof. A man, for instance Peter, can be the cause of Paul's feeling pain, because he, Peter, possesses something similar to that which Paul hates. Part 3. Proposition 16. Or, because Peter has sole possession of a thing which Paul also loves. Part 3. Proposition 32. And note or for other causes, of which the chief are enumerated in Part 3, Proposition 55, Note. It may therefore happen that Paul should hate Peter. Definition of Emotions 7. Consequently, it may easily happen also that Peter should hate Paul in return, and that each should endeavour to do the other an injury. Part 3, Proposition 39. That is, Part 4, Proposition 30, that they should be contrary one to another. But the emotion of pain is always a passion or passive state. Part 3, Proposition 59. Hence men, in so far as they are assailed by emotions, which are passions, can be contrary one to another. Quod erat demonstrandum. Note. I said that Paul may hate Peter, because he conceives that Peter possesses something which he, Paul, also loves. From this it seems at first sight to follow that these two men, through both loving the same thing, and consequently through agreement of their respective natures, stand in one another's way. If this was so, propositions 30 and 31 of this part would be untrue. But if we give the matter our unbiased attention, we shall see that the discrepancy vanishes. For the two men are not in one another's way in virtue of the agreement of their natures, that is, through both loving the same thing, but in virtue of one differing from the other. For in so far as each loves the same thing, the love of each is fostered thereby. Part 3, Proposition 31, that is, definition of the emotions. 6. The pleasure of each is fostered thereby. Wherefore it is far from being the case that they are at variance through both loving the same thing and through the agreement in their natures. The cause for their opposition lies, as I have said, solely in the fact that they are assumed to differ. For we assume that Peter has the idea of the loved object as already in his possession, while Paul has the idea of the loved object as lost. Hence, the one man will be affected with pleasure, the other will be affected with pain, and thus they will be at variance one with another. We can easily show in like manner that all other causes of hatred depend solely on differences and not on the agreement between men's natures.
Proposition 35. In so far only as men live in obedience to reason, do they always necessarily agree in nature. Proof. In so far as men are assailed by emotions that are passions, they can be different in nature, part 4, proposition 33, and at variance one with another. But men are only said to be active in so far as they act in obedience to reason, Part 3, Proposition 3. Therefore, whatsoever follows from human nature, in so far as it is defined by reason, must, Part 3, Definition 2, be understood solely through human nature as its proximate cause. But since every man, by the laws of his nature, desires that which he deems good, and endeavours to remove that which he deems bad, Part 4, Proposition 19, and further, since that which we, in accordance with reason, deem good or bad, necessarily is good or bad, Part 2, Proposition 41, it follows that men, in so far as they live in obedience to reason, necessarily do only such things as are necessarily good for human nature, and consequently for each individual man. Part 4, Proposition 31, Corollary. In other words, such things as are in harmony with each man's nature. Therefore, men, in so far as they live in obedience to reason, necessarily live always in harmony, one with another. Quod erat demonstrandum. Corollary 1. There is no individual thing in nature which is more useful to man than a man who lives in obedience to reason. For that thing is to man most useful which is most in harmony with his nature. Part 4, Proposition 31, Corollary. That is, obviously, man. But man acts absolutely according to the laws of his nature when he lives in obedience to reason. Part 3, Definition 2. And to this extent, only, is always necessarily in harmony with the nature of another man by the last proposition. Wherefore, among individual things, nothing is more useful to man than a man who lives in obedience to reason. Quod erat demonstrandum. Corollary 2. As every man seeks most that which is useful to him, so are men most useful one to another. For the more a man seeks what is useful to him, and endeavours to preserve himself, the more is he endowed with virtue, part 4, proposition 20, or what is the same thing, part 4, definition 8, the more is he endowed with power, to act according to the laws of his nature, that is, to live in obedience to reason. But men are most in natural harmony, when they live in obedience to reason, by the last proposition. Therefore, by the foregoing corollary, men will be most useful one to another, when each seeks most that which is useful to him. Quod erat demonstrandum. Note, what we have just shown is attested by experience so conspicuously that it is in the mouth of nearly everyone. Man is to man a god. Yet it rarely happens that men live in obedience to reason, for things are so ordered among them that they are generally envious and troublesome one to another. Nevertheless, they are scarcely able to lead a solitary life, so that the definition of man as a social animal has met with general assent. In fact, men do derive from social life much more convenience than injury. Let satirists then laugh their fill at human affairs, let theologians rail, and let misanthropes praise to their utmost the life of untutored rusticity, 
let them heap contempt on men and praises on beasts. When all is said, they will find that men can provide for their wants much more easily by mutual help, and that only by uniting their forces can they escape from the dangers that on every side beset them. Not to say how much more excellent and worthy of our knowledge it is to study the actions of men than the actions of beasts, but I will treat of this more at length elsewhere. End of part 4, propositions 31 to 35. Recording by O.K.